you know, they have a word for people like you. Continue. Go on. Let's just, let's just get this out of the way. It's it's noob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and this week we have an episode uh, on esports and gaming. Some quick some quick house cleaning notes here. Uh, Adam is out. He's on vacation, so uh, I have recruited Ryan Miller from the Partnerships team, as well as our esports and gaming expert, to join the conversation and to provide some insight uh, and share his opinions on the space and really how it's developed uh, additionally, we have two special guests. We have Justin Warden, the CEO of Adder, which is uh, a esports and gaming influencer and talent management agency, as well as Ducky the Gamer, uh, who is a cre- content creator and and game streamer, to kind of share a firsthand experience uh, on how he's seeing the space develop uh, as somebody who is living it day to day. So, with that, Ducky, why don't you? Uh kick us off here what what is your real name uh so our listeners know that i'm actually not talking to a duck uh and really you know like what what is your background in the in this gaming space yeah for sure uh so ducky the gamer is obviously my online name sam is my real person name i guess how you want to go about it um your, your birth name exactly exactly my legal name um and so i've been uh in the gaming space for years years uh now but in terms of making it a career, uh, turning it from a hobby um, and a passion to something I could do on a day-to-day basis as a job, uh, that's been more or so in the past two years or so. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in college for engineering. A freshman ended up dropping out to pursue uh, YouTube and and gaming and streaming and all that stuff. And luckily, it's all worked out and I've been able to to continue this uh, and and put as much time and effort into this as possible. Uh, And a big key helping factor has been Justin over here and, and Adder and everything they do uh, to help bridge the gap between making content and, and making it a career. What a shout out. <laughs> Perfect segue. Justin, did you also drop out of college to, to start Adder? Is that the same path that you were on? Yeah. Um, that's, uh, you know, nothing wrong with a good college education, but it wasn't for me. You know, I wasn't going to Amherst College in, in Massachusetts and Basically survived my first winter. Second winter was the longest in 100 years of recorded history, and I was done. I was out. <laughs> I remember I was starting my startup, and uh, there was bets. There was this app that a colleague of mine made. Got 100,000 installs the first day, and it was just a bet on how long the pile of snow in central Boston would stay during the summer. Where you could wow. Money. And I think it lasted until about August 30th before it fully melted. So... Um, a little bit of background there, not totally relevant, but yes, uh, I would say that dropping out of college was definitely the path for me. And I think that you're seeing this among a lot of gamers, a lot of personalities that they realize that they're spending a lot of time at school that they could be spent, uh, really supporting their careers, getting ahead of the competition. And that's why you have all mm-hmm. these businesses that are being started by really young people who are really growing very quickly. So, mm-hmm. Man, I feel like I should have dropped out of college. Here I am <laughs> with my marketing degree, just working working a job <laughs> while you guys are out there, you know, creating content in certain companies. Um, so listeners, take that for, for what you will. Um, but with both of you here, I mean, like, let's just kind of get into a little update on, on the gaming space. And I think 
First and foremost, Ryan, you covered this in a full-length article about two weeks ago and came on Floor 9 to give us a little breakdown. But I'm interested to hear from both of you your thoughts on Mixer shutting down. You know, there was always a three-way competition, I'd say, between Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. And then Mixer was actually like maybe like like the fourth biggest platform out there in the you know game streaming space. So uh, I'm I'm just curious. You know, it was a big company, a lot of resources uh, behind this streaming service. Um, what are your thoughts, both as you know, Justin, as a uh, CEO of a you know game streaming influencer um, company, but then Ducky, aka Sam, you know, as somebody that is streaming, um, you know, I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on all this. It, honestly, it was it was shocking. I I remember getting on Twitter one morning afternoon, whenever they announced it, and it just out of the blue, one of the biggest streaming companies in the world just evaporating within a month. Um, and I I personally had maybe experimented with a stream or two on Mixer when. Everyone was going over there, and it was the hot new place. You know, you, you got to try it out because me, I'm not locked into any mm-hmm. any contracts or any uh, exclusive streaming deals. So I just went over there, did maybe a stream or two, didn't think much of it. I didn't, con- you know, convert a lot of my audience over there, so it wasn't for me. Um, I know a few people who did stream over there, uh, but it was it was just shocking and surprising, especially knowing it's backed mm-hmm. by Microsoft. They had Ninja Shroud and a really recent pickup of, Sh- of Shroud as well. So having, you know, I guess it just goes to show that no matter how much money you have. Um, you can't force <laughs> something to work in this industry. Uh, but I don't have like too much takeaway cause I, I'm not too in depth of the mixer community mm-hmm. or like people stream over there. Um, right. but it was just shocking. Yeah. So I'm here with some hot takes for the listeners. I have a great working <laughs> relationship with Twitch. I respect everything that they do, but competition is great for the industry. It's always been great for the industry. And what it does is it gives people on every side, the opportunity to to flourish. Um, Mixer coming in and taking some really hot shots was extremely important. It both mm-hmm. empowered content creators to recognize their worth, which is something that as a management company I really value, but it also brought a ton of big PR into the industry, which as an agency I really value because brands need to be informed mm-hmm. about the ecosystem. But Mixer had a big challenge in front of them, which is that they had this huge play, which was taking all these content creators over to their platform. And if it failed, they were going to have to shut down because the amount of money they were investing into this doesn't matter whether or not Mixer could make it in five or 10 years. It's just how do you convince an executive team? How do you convince a bunch of shareholders that Microsoft should be investing all their money here when they have so many other things going well for them? It looked like this ugly thing on their balance sheets. And I think that was the problem. They took a huge swing, but they couldn't get the results fast enough. So they were forced to shut down the platform. Now, of course, this is speculation. But that's what I imagine happened, because think about it from their perspective. When they approached Ninja, they approached Shroud and a bunch of other big content creators, they said to themselves, they did a very simple calculation. Is it worth it to buy these people's audiences? And to them, it was, because if they were ever going to succeed, they were going to need to get a big influx of new viewers. Well, when they bought Shroud and they brought Ninja, people were like, these are huge dollar amounts. They were. It was really cost efficient from Mixer's perspective because they could never buy Twitch. It wasn't on the market. And if they could buy Twitch, it would cost them, you know, over $7 billion by current valuation, right? So it was a cost efficient play, but it was always going to be ugly on their balance sheet if it didn't work out. And they were able to get some traction from it, a ton of free PR. A lot of people think that just on the PR and exposure element, it was worth it. But you know, a year later, Ninja's numbers barely breaking 5,000 concurrent viewers. Shroud's around 7,000. Clearly, it wasn't successful. And Mixer's new thought was, do we invest in another crazy attempt 
drive new viewership or do we just give up on competition? And I think that they decide to go with that pan path because Mixer is making a ton of money everywhere else. And I don't think that this was going to be something they could really convince their shareholders was worth it long term. Well, that is some fantastic insight. As we mentioned at the, at the top of the show, it has been six months now. We've all been at home uh, in our offices. Uh, unlike us, you know, Ducky has a pro office. We have my bedroom. Ryan has his sister bedroom. <laughs> Justin, I'm not sure where you are. I'm but, actually at the office. Um, so, uh, oh, you got just, the office. Well, I'm the only go. one at the office, so there's no COVID risks. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, hey, there you go. That's that's not too bad. But I'm just interested to see like, like what like what has been popping over like these past few months from like just what people want to watch. Yeah, the it's it's interesting because I want to it's it's really hard as a as a content creator based uh, one in Fortnite, two in mobile to just say, oh, I'm I'm really into League of Legends. Let me just go push a bunch of content on that because there's relatively no crossover, no correlation. Um, unless my Fortnite viewers already play League of Legends, for example, I'm really gonna get no um, uh, conversions from my main falling to let's say like a secondary league of legends gameplay sort of style of content so i have to keep in mind what game i'm known for what i'm popular for and that's mobile and that's fortnite um and so minecraft is is sort of an anomaly but it's not because it really minecraft is more of a game that accentuates the person playing it because you can do anything in the game you can suck at the game and still have people watch you just because you're you're funny or entertaining or you're trying to learn the game but when it comes to Fortnite and these competitive shooters, if you're not good at the game, the chance that someone's going to watch you, watch you is pretty low. Um, so I've been I've been looking into Call of Duty Mobile that uh, pretty much season after season, month after month has been peaking in numbers and viewership. Um, done a bit of experimenting over there. I know Apex Legends is coming to mobile. Um, Wild Rift, which is pretty much the League of Legends on mobile, is coming soon-ish. A lot of these mobile games are just like soon-ish. Uh, is like the time frame the developers give us. Um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty set in in the mobile category, especially um, everything that's so overpopulated nowadays with with PC and, and pretty much anything. Everyone wants to be a gamer. Everyone wants to be uh, the next ninja. So finding a way to make myself stand out has been mobile, and so I want to keep pushing forward that and and um, really build upon that. So it's a little bit limiting in terms of what I can play. There's not GTA and mobile. I'd love for that to be a thing. Um, and <laughs> Rockstar Games, if you're listening, just you know, put that on the product roadmap. There you go, 2025. You'll they'll get to it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a little bit limited, but I'm I'm experimenting. I'm always yep. I'm always looking for the next next thing. Hopefully, yeah. Well, I mean, you brought up mobile gaming. I I don't think we've touched on this yet, but this is something that um I don't think people think about when they t talk about esports and gaming. They actually associate it to, I would say, PC gamers. So, you know, like, the, like these thousands of dollars, computers, uh, and then maybe console like below that. But mobile gaming, I, I, I don't say is something that um, is in the rhetoric of what, you know, people, viewers, and even brands are, are kind of thinking about. And so can you guys just give some background on like mobile gaming? Like, is this big? Is this small? Um, you know, what, like, what is it like? Uh, cause I think that is something that is super interesting for not only our listeners, but like even our brands to start exploring, uh, as other potential ways to, you know, expand, you know, how they might activate in the world of esports and gaming. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you for, I mean, that's a very accurate statement. Even when I think of esports mobile, 
mobile is getting there in the esports front um i know pubg mobile has um experimented they've, they've done some tournaments uh, a few million dollars i know call of Duty mobile is in the midst of their million dollar world championship but mobile esports hasn't developed and i don't think it will for a while pc will always be the go-to esports is where you can be the most mechanical the most accurate um and just be the best player but really what's taken off is mobile content creation um there was the best example i can think of is, is a creator last month on call of duty mobile had a combined 30 million views between his his different channels uh his stream channels highlights and stuff like that and that is groundbreaking numbers there's a fortnite mobile content creator who i think has pulled 15 to 20 million views in the last month and so content is really where mobile can can expand and to really show itself because at least for for me i still get a lot of people coming into my streams and comment section saying like wow i didn't know mobile players were that good and i'm like i've been here for two years where have you been kind of thing so the education of of people realizing mobile is a real platform that you can be advanced on or it's not just candy crush it's not just these cheap pay to win mobile games um it's still in the progress and so esports i think will come after that but in the in the meantime i think there's still a lot of education of just getting the fact that mobile gaming is real you know it's not as competitive but it's on the go it's very convenient and it's accessible to pretty much everyone in the world um and so i think that's where mobile has, has like strengths and weaknesses uh right now uh, so the first thing I would say is this, because I know that you have a lot of listeners on the brand side. Um, brands care about reaching a large audience, and the mobile gaming audience is massive. It's much bigger than the PC audience. When we talk about esports dollars and, e and competitive gaming being led by the PC audience, people have to understand that the reason PC has dominated the competitive scene is simply because the average spending power of a PC user is higher. right? So if you're looking to reach someone who can spend money today, and oftentimes brands are, you should be promoting on places like Twitch, which they are, you know. Um, the reason for that is if you're gonna spend $3,000 on a computer, you probably have a little bit of disposable income that you can spend elsewhere. But when you think about the massive audience, the audience that is gonna dominate and control spending in the future, you're talking about the mobile audience. It's infinitely larger than the PC audience simply because of accessibility, right? It's like comparing sports, it's like comparing golf to soccer. Yes, when you reach a golf viewer, it's very likely that they can buy your product no matter what it costs. But so many more people play soccer than golf, right? It's very, very similar. And what you're seeing right now is that people are starting to recognize that everyone has a mobile device, despite how much people make fun of Blizzard for that particular quote. And the fact is that games on mobile are phenomenal. You know, when we think about the past of PC gaming, for a long time, PC gaming had this huge barrier to entry, which is that every game you had to pay for it. And then you had free games like League of Legends come out. And then even for a while, there were still a lot of paid games. And then now it's something like everyone realized after Fortnite, make your game free and you have a huge audience of people. Well, mobile went through a little bit of a different process. No one really wanted to pay for games on mobile because their quality was a lot worse than what was available on PC. So they made these really aggressive pay to win games. Some of these games were really fun and some of them were really bad. The problem is that the bad games build out audiences of people who lost trust in mobile games. And over you know five to 10 years, a lot of people lost faith that you could have quality mobile games. And then everything started to change. 
you had games like Fortnite come to mobile, which literally there's no pay-to-win elements. PUBG, and same now with Apex Upcoming or the new League of Legends game. So people are starting to build faith again that you can have a great competitive mobile experience. But the fundamentals are that the people who play on PC have invested so much money into their equipment that they're always going to be slightly elitist. Because when you throw three grand down to play a game, you best believe you got to convince yourself that's the right decision. Over the next five to ten years, you're going to see that everyone who has a mobile device is going to be playing mobile games, and everyone's going to be talking about mobile games because they just are infinitely larger. The fact is, you could play, you know, Fortnite against someone who lives in India or in Japan. The fact is, many people in India don't have a three thousand dollar gaming computer, right? So you'll never have the opportunity to play League of Legends with them, right? And in the next ten years, I guarantee you, mobile will be the the first and foremost. Um, platform and if you look at most of the world it already is that way you know we talk about pc gaming dominating ducky made that point that's only in the united states everywhere else in the world it's mobile first already so yeah i think that's super apt i mean one example that comes to mind specifically is the game garena free fire which i, was I don't just know too going much to about personally that. but that Brazilian audience, there's one content creator, I forget his name, but he averages like 100,000 concurrence every time he drops into the game. And it's something I'm not privy to as an American viewer. And I just clicked on it one day and I was like, oh my God, how is the audience that outstanding there? And I think it stems from that exact point that you made, Justin. Everyone has access to a mobile device. There's 2.6 billion people who identify as gamers currently globally, and 1.4 billion of those identify as mobile gamers. Nuzu actually predicted that the mobile gaming revenue would account for 48% of gaming revenue in 2020, amounting to some $70 billion. So there's yeah. definitely people spending money there. There's definitely people who have their eyeballs there, and there's definitely people playing on that platform as well. So definitely really ripe for an emergence. I think the United States has a disadvantage with, with the mobile audience and the mobile perception because um, we're Call of Duty Mobile, PUBG Mobile, all of these mobile games that have the insane audiences, it's because of Brazil, it's because of India, East Asia, all these countries, that they can have a $100, $200 Android phone. It doesn't run the game particularly well, but it runs it, and they don't have any other alternatives. And so, you know, that's a, it's a great example. Free Fire, the game has like 80 million, I think, daily users that, that could be off. Um, but that's just an example of like how incredibly massive an audience can be that people don't even know about. People are are blind to the fact that mobile gaming is huge in every country except the United States, every continent except North America. Um, and it's really unfortunate that we're, we're pretty much going against the grain trying to say, oh, mobile gaming is good. Uh, it's here. Like we know it's good, but it's just that sort of level of education we still have to get to. And I think um, the, the future is definitely, definitely mobile. It's just getting over that hump of getting people to recognize that it's something to be seriously reckoned with. It's interesting because if you ask any, you know, nine to 11 year old right now what their dream job is, and I've done this, they say, oh, I want to be a professional gamer or I want to be a content creator for gaming. Um, and then you ask them, where do you play your video games? They say on their iPad or their iPhone. And, and trust me, Apple knows because they're coming out with a two to $300 phone that's basically as good as their phone from last year so that little kids can start gaming on it, right? That's one of their major reasons. It's like they need an accessible item because no longer is the phone just functional for calling and texting, it has become an entertainment platform, right? And it, it's people really in our generation that still think you know Xbox or, or PS4 or PC, mm. but you talk to a kid What's the one thing that they have to have for school that they have to have to communicate with their parents? It's a phone. 
a lot of families can't afford to buy a computer, especially right now during COVID. They can't afford to buy an Xbox or PS4, but they do have to have a phone. It's a safety issue. It's uh, you know an educational issue, and the phones are strong enough and, and, and good enough now that you can play a ton of great games on that phone. So many kids already see gaming as mobile first and PC as additive versus our generation we see as gaming as PC, Xbox, or PlayStation 4 first, and then mobile as additive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's like, that's really interesting insight into all of this. And I think one of the things I'm interested to discuss is that like in the past two, three years, it seems like the average lifespan for a mobile game was anywhere from three to four weeks. Are we seeing that change? Like, because like, like that was one of the issues that some of the, I would say, for example, on the brand side, they were hesitant about getting or advertising around mobile games is because the inventory was so difficult because it would it, w- it would last you know three to four weeks and then the game would be gone. Um, so I'd be curious to know if that's kind of changing. Things have changed, but they've changed for reasons that have nothing to do with attention span. Attention span for any game is quick. There's a thousand games released on Steam and the Epic Game Store every day, and most of them you know have a hot moment. Like right now, there's this great game on Twitch that's been, uh, it's called F- something Free Fall, I think. I, I'm sure you guys Fall have Guys. Fall yeah. Guys, right? And it's killing it. And it, no one will remember it in three weeks, uh, likely, right? But the thing is, it's content creators that brands can invest in for staying power. That's why you see so many more brands investing in influencers, not only because the influencers have an audience they can constantly reach, but also because influencers determine in many parts what games have staying power. If you didn't have creators like Ducky here playing Fortnite every day on mobile, eventually there would be no community. Because when the creators decide to move on, that they're not interested in the game anymore, games die. And a great example of this is H1Z1, a game that used to be the all-star in the Battle Royale space. There was no other Battle Royale. They were massive. And then people lost interest, a better version of the game came out, and, and the creators decided to move on. And the game died. But for years, you had a game that was fairly buggy, wasn't that great, that had mainstaying power because creators loved playing and producing within that content. So I actually think it's creators that determine whether or not people move on, much more so than it is a lack of you know, an ADHD kind of personality type in in the players themselves. When creators find a home where they can make interesting content, they tend to elevate and keep a game alive. And that's why games like Fortnite are still massive, absolutely massive, despite the fact that they've been around for three years now. I, yeah, I think mobile games, definitely, they were really come and go. There used to be no depth to mobile games, but I think a good, uh, something Fortnite has going really strong for it that I guess can be seen as a pro and a con is that it's directly tied to the main console and PC games. So although mobile is never going to be Epic Games' true devout focus, they're always going to get the same updates. They're going to get the same content. They're going to get the same weapons. So you're always, if you play on mobile, you're always going to be in touch with the people playing on console and PC. And you could watch a PC streamer. You can watch a console streamer because you're playing the same game. And so something like Call of Duty Mobile where it has a completely different ecosystem. It has a different battle pass, different schedule, different, literally everything. It is pretty much the complete opposite of what Call of Duty is doing right now for console and PC, but it's proving to be very successful. They've got their own sort of string of of content and storyline going on. And so um, I guess in both cases, it works if you emulate, if you just straight up port the game from PC and console, which I think a lot of game developers plan to do. Um, it can work because you're just tying back into the main um, storyline and arc of, of what people already know and love. But if you're making something new, it's a bit more challenging, but I think it can go above and beyond what uh, PC and console is. Because mobile Fortnite is never going to be larger 
than you know PC and console Fortnite. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but something like Call of Duty Mobile is quickly proving to capture the audience of close to the level of some of the top uh, like Modern Warfare and, and like Warzone content creators. Yeah, I mean, I think that the main point of distinguishment that you need to make between mobile games is the AAA titles that are getting ported over or specifically developed for mobile and the arcade type games. So think about Apple Arcade. You pay a subscription, whatever it is, $5 a month to have access to a thousand different games. But those are the games like Flappy Bird. And the staying power of those games are, you know, one, two days on your commute when there used to be a commute because you'll probably breeze through all those levels the titles that dougie's talking about are ones that you could really dive into and make a career and make a con make a ton of content around so yeah i think that main point is the triple a titles that get the mobile ports and the arcade games that people are playing on mobile i think that the difference was there only used to be those arcade games back in the day and there still are and there always will be but now when you have the triple a's it diversifies like the mobile portfolio so you can play fortnite on your way to work and a few levels of candy crush and you know you're getting you're getting all your uh, your gaming in. Yeah, you look like a real huge Candy Crush player. <laughs> oh, not me. That's a, that's a hypothetical. Don't don't get too uh, wrapped up. But I'm I'm interested to hear um, from from everybody. Just you know, in general, you know, when you have been talking to brands um, over like these past six months, like do do you think we finally have passed the stage of like educating marketers and brands and media folks um, like on what gaming is? Like for us, I look at the moment that Ninja played with Drake as like, that was, that was, that was the turning point when everybody was like, aha, this is the space. But, uh, I'm curious because, you know, you two are in it every single day, you know, Justin, you know, getting sponsorships, working with brands, doing deals, Ducky, obviously making the content for the brands. Like, um, do you think that we finally have passed the education stage and we've more moved into like how to execute and figure out how this new channel, and I use new in quotes, fits into a media play, a marketing plan, like a brand strategy. I think that education has changed. So it used to be, hey, have you heard of esports? Have you heard of gaming? This is four or five years ago, and brains were really hesitant for a few reasons. One, they always thought of the, you know, those news articles that somehow correlate violence with video games, which have been very popular for years and have always been based on some very weak pseudoscience. But on top of that, the spending power of the average customer was quite low, right? Because, you know, when, when we first started doing this, I was in college. Like, I couldn't spend money on video games, really. I could buy a game every three or four months if I saved up, right? Now, it's people like us. We're a little bit older. We have spending power. We have our first job, our second job. For some of us, we're pretty far into our career. So brands are paying a lot more attention because we have that spending power. This is what I talked about earlier with, like, mobile audiences growing up. Eventually, brands are going to care a ton about mobile audiences because they'll have the spending power. But on top of that, the education has changed from, have you heard about this? Because many people just didn't believe it was a legitimate thing. Everyone knows that ESPN quote about how video gaming and gaming will never be gaming. And now, of course, ESPN covers gaming, right? Um, to helping them understand how to spend their money and what they can expect from spending their money. And this is a big challenge because a lot of brands, when they spend, when it comes to online and digital spending, they're very ROI focused. And they're like saying, hey, how do I track this to a sale? And there's a lot of platforms out there, traditional ad networks that help facilitate that. But the truth is working with an influencer is a lot more similar to TV advertising, where you're trying to get the word out there through a really effective, impactful campaign. You're really you know, reaching pretty much the entire audience. And then that's going to drive action and sales over a period of time. And because brands are saying, okay, well, we need to be spending in gaming, 
but they haven't tested enough things, they're very nervous. So you see small test budgets from campaigns who are dipping in, for, sorry, from clients who are dipping their toes in to the water, and then they're seeing results. And they're like, oh, wow, we're going to double down on this. This makes sense. We can compare this to TV. That's a pretty good comparison, in fact, because we have a lot more tracking than we get on television. But because they're still nervous, because they don't have all that data that they've collected over multiple campaigns, it's just test budgets. So I think most clients know about it, but they haven't decided who their long-term partners is or are, and they're still nervous about what's going to drive the best ROI, and they're going to need to run several, I'd say a few more years worth of test uh, campaigns before they're in a situation where they're like, wow, we know what works. That's where we're going to put a you know, substantial budget. And maybe that's just been my lived experience, but I think that Overall, brands are getting more comfortable, but they're not quite yet there in knowing exactly where to put their dollars. So I have a question around that point. Yeah. Do you think that it's important to build that equity and that respect amongst the community so you have that authentic voice? Or do you think you can just come in and right away and you know make a splash? I think both strategies work in different ways. So we're going to talk about everyone's favorite mobile sponsor, Raid Shadow Legends, here for a second. Yeah! Get the yeah. money, boys. <laughs> you guys aren't playing... <laughs> You know, Rachel Legends did not sponsor this episode, but if they want to, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the deal. If you're a big brand and you care about connecting with people in a way that builds holistic, lovable uh, memories, then you have to have the slow burn approach. That doesn't mean spend very little money. It means spend money through long-term partnerships, right? Come in, find people who really stand for what you stand for as a brand, who are in line with your mission statement. Don't just go for the celebrities. One thing I think Reese's did incredibly well is they chose some celebrity partners, but they also worked with a lot of grassroots content creators who were on their path up. And that builds the sense right away in a fan base that Reese's has been backing the creators that are growing, the creators that matter from day one. They're just part of the ecosystem now. That's super important. But that's not to say that you can't just slam a bunch of money into it and build a reputation. It might not be the best reputation, but the fact is Raid Shadow Legends has been doing this for a year now, and they continue to spend because they see results. You know, A mass market approach, whether or not it garners a ton of hate, is effective. You're going to get a lot of installs. You're going to find a lot of whales. It's just not... Many brands want to be in a situation where they're being perceived as the nemesis of the, you know, of the internet, right? Raid, it works for them, and they've driven a ton of success. They went from being an unknown publisher to one of the mainstream, like, like best-known mobile publishers on the planet, right? But that's not a path that many brands find digestible. Most brands they want to think of themselves as, as you know, additive to a community as supporting a community and to that extent it's much better to do year-long partnerships with smaller creators a few celebrities build that sense that you've been backing the space from day one otherwise you know you're going to find yourself in a raid shadow legend situation where half the videos about you are just criticizing your your, your game you know so I, I think that that's a really interesting kind of dichotomy because you have brands like hershey's who've done it so well they came in They've built authentic relationships. And then you have brands like Raid Shadow Legends who have seen a lot of success, but they've built a very bad name for themselves at the same time. So it really depends on your objectives. And I think that's such an interesting question because it is such a challenge for brands. So many brands are focused on results today that they might be, you know, they, they might want to go down the Raid Shadow Legends approach, even though they know it might mar their name long term. So, Well, that is some fantastic insight. Uh, and I, I do want to... Uh, start to ra wrap up the conversation here. Um, as you both look to the future, you know, of uh, the space, like, 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 what are you excited about? I would say um, 
first off, one education would be awesome. And once again, it's mainly in the United States, but that's predominantly the people who consume my content. Uh, but there's still an overwhelming amount of um, consumers out there for content who just are not aware of, of mobile or they're aware to a degree, but they think it's something that like their seven-year-old cousin plays on and they don't take too serious. Um, so I think education first and foremost would be awesome. But secondly, for the, for the players and the content creators, uh, more games. We seem to be in this lull of, hey, we're getting a new game. Six to nine months, maybe a year goes by and we're still waiting for the next game and we're getting teased about these new games um, and, and waiting for some of these AAA uh, titles to really just commit to it or make a statement saying, hey, we're going to have it by this date because, like I said, they, they give a lot of these uh, open-ended, ambiguous release dates, which doesn't really help anyone. It builds the hype, but it uh, you know is not going to do anything for the people who are waiting for the game. Um, and then I guess like hardware as well. It's not something we really touched on. Uh, but mobile hardware, really the only reason these games can port to mobile is because of the advancement in technology and mobile processors and, and screens and everything like that. And so I think that would go almost hand in hand with education because I get a lot of people coming into my streams who are mad that my tablet gets more frames than their console does. And this is, it's very common <laughs> and I understand it how I, you know, a little mobile device is outperforming their gaming console beast and so i think that once again it's sort of it's hand in hand the the more mobile progresses it's inevitable people are going to learn about it uh they'll become aware of, of what's going on and then maybe dive into it if they don't want to i always say you don't have to if you're comfortable on console pc play play what you want to play but just having the option is is more than awesome especially for uh you know the other countries out there who are not as fortunate enough to be able to buy a thousand dollar gaming pc willy-nilly um i think i'm just really looking forward to the progression of mobile of these next few years because i think it's going to be i think it's going to be fun and interesting um and, and really good for everyone involved the one comment i'll say to that is that we the uh microsoft's x cloud game streaming service was announced for like release on september 15th um as well as we know google stadia is out and about and i believe ubisoft has their own streaming service coming out as well so um if mobile wasn't already a priority, it definitely will be now as you essentially can stream console and PC level games onto your uh, mobile device and play exactly the same with a controller in hand if you prefer. So it's definitely going to be a pretty big shift, I think, in the gaming space um, once the kinks are worked out with all these different platforms. But Justin, what are you excited about? I am excited to see more and more brands taking this stuff legitimately i know with COVID, it was an interesting di dynamic where more brands were interested in spending with gaming because it was a place where the audiences were massive at the same time many brands really did shrink their budgets totally understandably you know a lot of people are unemployed gdp is down across the board so i think it ended up being overall a net even for this year or maybe a small decrease in overall spending gaming but a huge net positive once people start going back to work right because to see that kind of even like staying level with last year is massive in an industry in a world where so many people, you know, are, are tightening down their budgets. And I'm excited for when this all clears up. I'm excited for when brands really start to invest the amount of money that's pro proportionate and appropriate for the audience size that gaming has, because this is my childhood dream. Like I used to play StarCraft II. Yes, I'm dating myself here a little bit. I wanted to go competitive and I was playing on my really crummy laptop. Yeah, you should not play StarCraft on a laptop. 
and when my laptop broke down, I asked my parents, hey, can I get a new one? And they said, no, this gaming thing's a waste of time. You need to focus on college. And it really sucked. It sucked. It really did. And I dreamed of a world where people could be competitive in the gaming sphere, where they could find employment in the gaming sphere. At the time, the only way you could make money was for working for a big gaming publisher. And generally, at the time, it was just being a developer for them. But today, that's changed. You can be a content creator. You can be a competitor. You can work in influencer marketing like I do. To me, that's a dream come true because there's this thing about the gaming community that's so unique and so special. And that's that we all feel like we're a family together. The people use the term family all the time when they shouldn't. But when it comes to gaming, there's a connection that you have. When you meet a stranger, you start talking about COD or Fortnite or a game that you guys love together. And it's like you've known each other for a lifetime. And it's so hard to find that almost anywhere else. So for me, I'm excited to see the world you know, continue to legitimize this, legitimize this hobby that's become a career, that's become a phenomenon in the world. Um, and, and to me, that's the most exciting thing ever. That's fantastic. Well, with that, Justin, Ducky, thank you both for joining myself and Ryan here on, on Floor 9. Uh, hit us with the uh, the ads. You know where can our listeners find you guys? If you search Ducky the Gamer on any social media, you'll probably find me. Um, that's that's about it. I mean, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, whatever you want to follow me on, feel free. If not, yeah. all good. Smash that subscribe button, everybody. People can find me on LinkedIn. Also, if they want to follow my tiny YouTube channel with twelve subscribers, you know, we can we can we can easily make an impact there, guys. You know, two more subscribers, it's like a twenty five percent growth rate, guys. So. Um, Everyone, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us and look forward to maybe being on a future podcast as well. Yeah, no, this was great. Thank you both for for joining. Really enjoyed the conversation. So uh, with that, listeners, we'll, we'll catch you next week. 